0: Section 6 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 11. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 11, edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labrie. Section 6 The Wages of Sin for the ensuing narrative i am indebted to the kindness of a friend who was tutor and executor to the wayward young man, whose guilt and wretchedness it commemorates strange though the story may appear there are those in existence who know it to be true why then should i withhold what the writer himself had destined for the world there are none to be grieved at the disclosures it contains Moisten left behind him no near relations he had but one friend let then this unconnected record of sorrow and sin appear in his own words at least it may serve to show that if in this checkered state of being virtue and happiness are not synonymous terms still misery is indissolubly allied to crime i am dying i know it despite of all that medical skill can achieve of every alleviation that art can suggest and every check to disease that wealth can procure i'm rapidly sinking into my grave be it so i grieve not at the discovery can the captive mourn the hour which will free him from the damp and loathsome dungeon and open to him the joyous air of heaven oh no the truest friend the wretched have is he who drops the scene upon their weary life but let me not spend my few last fleeting hours in moralizing i have yet much to do little has my past life availed my fellow-creatures oh let me benefit them from the grave surrounded with every blessing which existence can afford possessing prospects of a brilliant nay almost unrivalled nature few entered this checkered scene of being with greater advantages than myself it is true that the lapse of a few short years made me an unconscious orphan but by a kind and watchful guardian and his sister who had been my mother's early friend their place was most affectionately supplied and of such a brother as i possessed few could boast He was about eighteen months older than myself and though in our pursuits and tastes and turns of thought an essential difference was perceptible, we were warmly and devotedly attached. Alone in the world we clung to each other with an intensity of affection which orphans only can feel, I will describe him though it cost me a bitter pang. More sedate, more reflecting, more refined and highly cultivated than myself with a mind slightly tinged with melancholy and deeply but unaffectedly impressed by the great truths of religion he exhibited a character remarkable for mental energy when excited but which took rare and sparing interest in ordinary occurrences his pleasures were invariably those of a grave and solitary cast he seemed to endure mirth rather than enjoy it to enter into society more from a feeling of duty than an anticipation of amusement to contemplate nature in her wildest and grandest forms to listen to the sullen roar of ocean to survey from the verge of a rock the fretful billows foaming and breaking at its base to watch the progress of the tempest and gaze upon the forked lightning to enjoy the sabbath stillness of a summer's evening muse upon the starry firmament studded with innumerable worlds to investigate the structure and powers of the human mind and to dive into sciences which lead man to his maker and force upon him the magnificence of the deity and the extent of his benevolence for pursuits like these he had the keenest relish and from the prosecution of them he seemed daily to rise with fresh and unabated enjoyment and, in despite of an air of pensive gravity and reserve unusual in one so happily circumstanced, there were few who were more generally and deservedly beloved than the young Sir Walter Moyston of Mountsfield. Oh, I did love him, gay, volatile, and impetuous, interested only about the present and careless of the future, governed far too frequently by the impulse of the heart rather than by the decision of the head often the victim of passion ever the slave of caprice yet did i pay involuntary homage to my brother's superiority and in every moment of difficulty in every hour of trial when disgust or disappointment or treachery had assailed me i would turn to this highly gifted being and be comforted what would i give to recall that period i was happy for i was innocent when i first woke in the morning i could almost weep with pleasure the holy calm the silence the freshness the fragrance would thrill through my soul and then-yes then i could lift a heart to heaven which guilt had not torn from confidence in god my brother was about twenty and i had just quitted oxford when an addition was made to our neighbourhood in the person of a mrs de courcy she was the widow of a very gallant officer and the bravery of her husband and the circumstance of his loss reducing her from comfort and independence to the lowliest retirement and the scantiest pittance added to her own noble descent and very superior manners excited a powerful interest in her favor and she was very generally courted on her appearance among us yet amidst it all she was a cold calculating mercenary being an adept in intrigue and a heartless manoeuvrer. in a word she was a woman of the world and could contrive at will to make vice appear virtue and art seem innocence she was accompanied by her daughter let me attempt to describe adela de courcy i see her at this moment before me that clear fair forehead that deep blue eye that open frank confiding smile that buoyant airy step that careless nay almost childish gaiety of manner which seems so delightfully to mix with the everyday business of life and to throw a glow of cheerfulness on all around her no no to her description is injustice to see and love this captivating being to love against hope against reason to love with all the jealousy and despondence of a youthful heart with all the intensity and devotion of a first affection was very speedily mine i say to love against hope against reason for i discovered but too soon that adela's beauty her innocence her misfortunes and the air of cheerful resignation with which she submitted to their pressure had made a powerful permanent impression on my brother's heart. I saw that I had no chance, and yet Adela's return of her lover's passion was cold and faint in the extreme. Living in his immediate neighborhood, hearing hour by hour of his unbounded benevolence, his unaffected piety, his humility, his disinterestedness, she respected, she esteemed, but no, she never loved him. To her mother his wealth, his rank, his generous easy temper were irresistible, mrs de Courcy smiled upon his suit i was a bankrupt in affection from that very hour for the first time i now felt i was a younger brother for the first time my heart swelled with envy and animosity toward the unsuspecting walter for the first time i regarded with feelings of satisfaction his slender form and sickly habit treasured up the passing indications of delicacy of constitution and calculated yes actually calculated whether it was not possible I might survive him and then better feelings would return and I would oppose to those baneful but evanescent emotions my own purity of intention and rectitude of heart twas the dream of a madman oh would to god I had learnt the lesson of human weakness the great lesson of human life that I had been taught the narrow limits of human sufficiency and had been led to pray for strength and support from above would to god I had learnt to control my passions To subjugate them to the empire of reason to invoke divine assistance to combat to stifle to subdue them i get weaker i must on preparations for the marriage were in progress instructions had been issued for the settlements and the ceremony stood fixed for the day on which my brother would attain his minority the feelings of my mind strangely harmonized with the season of the year it was far advanced in autumn the dew lay thick upon the grass the landscape was entirely shrouded with vapor excepting where a solitary sunbeam seemed to struggle with the mist. The woods were silent, and not a single sign of life enlivened the monotony of the scene, save where the dusky livery of a huge old fir was contrasted by the brilliant berries of the mountain ash. It was nature in her sepulcher. My brother challenged me to a walk, on a morning cheerless and gloomy, as that which I have been describing. I was sure the invitation contemplated some particular object, nor was I mistaken, He announced to me, in form, his intended marriage, spoke to me most confidentially, most unreservedly, unfolded all his plans for the present, his prospects for the future, apprised me, in the most delicate terms, of the addition which he had deemed it right to make to a younger brother's portion, and again and again assured me that neither time nor circumstances could effect the slightest diminution in his love. Engaged in earnest conversation, we reached a ravine in the grounds. It was a spot, sad and solitary, but wild and picturesque in the extreme. Ivy mantled its sides in some places, and in others oaks and holly bushes whose roots found nourishment in the crevices of the rock, excluded the light of day, and half concealed the torrent which foamed below. The weeping willow and the mournful cypress waved o'er the waters, at a little distance lower down the stream now brawling and foaming in hasty current, now whirling in deep and circular eddies, was joined by a sluggish and slumbering rivulet and became a very considerable sheet of water, its depth even at the side was upward of fifteen feet. Heedlessly loitering on the brink and pointing to some recent improvements, my brother faltered and fell into the flood. The slightest motion on my part would have saved him the least effort without incurring any risk, any danger to myself would have been sufficient to avert his fate. The very sapling which lay on the grass beside me, had it been guided to his grasp, would have drawn him to the brink. I stood motionless. The feelings of a fiend rushed over me and prevailed. Twice he rose and struggled manfully with the torrent. I saw his face almost black with agony. I caught his eye fixed full upon me with an expression of anxiety of entreaty, of reproach and despair, which impending dissolution only could convey. A convulsive cry escaped him. It was repeated in a deeper, wilder tone. A sullen plunge was heard, there was stillness around me, it was the stillness of death. I returned to the house by a long and circuitous route, and immediately on reaching it gave the alarm. His body was found an hour afterward, I did not see it, I was pressed to do so, but replied they were the only words of truth that passed my lips for many years, that my feelings would not allow me. Within two years afterward Adela was mine. I had now realized the wildness wish of my heart sin I had committed, aggravated, heinous, damning, overwhelming. I had earned fairly its wages. Fortune was mine. Rank was mine. The being I had so long and so hopelessly loved was mine. There was no living creature to dispute my will, nor control my wishes. Perhaps it may be asked, was I happy? Happy? From the very day my brother died. I never knew the meaning of the term. Soon, very soon retribution overtook me the almighty visited me early with his chastisements i was passionately fond of children there was a purity and an innocence about them which breathed to me of another world i liked them as companions their heartful mirth their sportive playfulness their dove-like simplicity and winning smiles would always even in my darkest hours steal me from myself i implored heaven for i dared to pray to vouchsafe me such a blessing of my own There were other reasons which rendered me earnest and importunate in this petition. I was the last of my race. The name of Moisten, so nobly descended, the title of no recent creation would die with me. The extensive domains would, in that case, enrich a family who had already aggrandized themselves at our expense, and whose very mention was hateful to me, for those powerful reasons, independent of my passionate attachment to infancy. I was anxious beyond description for a living representative years rolled on, I was childless, conscience gradually resumed her sway, the figure of my drowning brother pursued me like a shadow, night and day, at home and abroad, in society and in solitude, his image was before me, my health began to show symptoms of decay, medical science was resorted to, my attendant pronounced me nervous, hypochondriacal, recommended change of air, of scene hurried me off to Brighton, to Cheltenham, and prescribed tonic medicines and nutritious diet pshaw i despised their prognostics i laughed to scorn their self-sufficient ignorance and the confidence with which they boasted of their ability to cure my malady was beyond their art and i knew it my symptoms were a wounded conscience my sufferings arose from the anguish of remorse my feverish days and restless nights had their origin in those bitter feelings of self-reproach which like the vulture of prometheus preyed unceasingly upon my vitals and were but too lively an emblem of the Worm that never dies after a melancholy sojourn at Malvern, Harrogate, Buxton, and half a dozen other places sacred to folly and fashion, I returned to Mountsfield with a decided increase of malady. It had now reached such a height that I was unable to encounter a human eye. I insisted with the vehemence of frenzy, no servant should presume to meet me, no matter what might be the urgency of the errand, no matter what might be its importance, on pain of instant dismission, I enjoined them to retrace their steps lady moyston reasoned remonstrated entreated in vain i adapted the jargon of my physician and laid the blame on the total derangement of my nervous system dr warren hes now in his grave commended my prudent precaution prudence precaution ha 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 i could not-i dare not meet the steady gaze even of the menials that surrounded me i dreaded i anticipated they would read the guilty secret in my careworn haggard countenance i was obeyed obeyed to the very letter I could wander at will through the grounds without meeting a human being. I could traverse the long gallery of Moundsfield, pace up and down to and fro in the splendid but deserted apartments, and muse unchecked by the presence or even the sound of any living witness over my ever-increasing anguish, compunction, and despair. Sleep forsook me, that clear sweet soft voice forever rung in my ears. I heard it above the swell of the peeling organ, above the waves of the ocean as they rolled in thunder on the shore, in the silence of midnight, in the glare of noonday. In the song, in the dance, go where I would, still, an invisible monitor sounded in my ears, Henry, dear Henry, save me, save me. I endeavored to soothe my wounded spirit by acts of the most unbounded charity. I would fain have bribed heaven by a life of the most extensive benevolence. To the needy, the suffering, the aged, and the diseased, I dispensed my wealth liberally, largely, Alas, light where it would, it seemed, followed by a curse. The objects of my bounty proved unworthy or ungrateful or impostors or importunate. Few, very few appeared on examination deserving or necessitous. and the blessings which these invoked on my head seemed to my distempered imagination expressions of the bitterest derision, and the heartfelt aspirations which they uttered that I might never know what sorrow was, seemed the exultations of a fiend that mocked at my calamity and laughed at my despair. Months had I continued in this feverish state of being when an incident occurred which diverted the current of my thoughts, and had afterward a very material influence upon my destiny. In one of my solitary rambles through the park I found a little boy, cold, hungry, and almost destitute of clothing, watching with the most affectionate solicitude, and weeping over a dying mother. She was a soldier's wife, who, having lost her husband, was returning to her native village when disease had want had arrested her progress. She was indeed hastening to her final home. Her little companion, I may say, comforted, was a noble, manly-looking boy of five years old with a face which had without exception the finest softest sweetest expression i ever saw he was sitting by her side with a look of childish helpless anguish and the tone in which his little clear voice murmured don't cry mother don't cry as he wiped the damps of death from her brow touched a heart cold churlish and insensible as mine she was carefully removed to the house every remedy that experience could suggest every comfort that wealth could procure was afforded her it availed but little death would not be cheated of his prey And his approach hourly became more perceptible the little mourner watched every turn of her disorder with a glistening eye and quivering lip sat hour after hour with his little hand clasped in hers and when the last struggle came on and we forcibly excluded him from the chamber he fixed himself on the step outside the door inquired in faltering accents of all who entered or quitted the apartment and as each reply became more hopeless than the former wept in silence when he told him of his poor mother's death he refused food No delicacy we could offer could tempt his appetite he sat by the coffin in childish sorrow and mourned as one that would not be comforted there was something in this homage of the heart which deeply interested me i will keep him educate him provide for him he at least will love me the flame of gratitude will burn bright and clear in such an affectionate bosom and on him bound to me by the ties of countless obligations the rumors of the world will have no power his profession shall be that of his choice how these day-dreams were realised will he- appear hereafter the passing stimulus of the moment over my mind made by respecting the education of the little orphan and every arrangement for his comfort completed my thoughts gradually returned into their old channel and some slightly exciting cause was all that was requisite to bring back my malady with renewed violence it was not long wanting i had taken pleasure in going to church yes unaccountable as it may appear my happiest hours by far were those which i spent there I could and did pray. I felt the beauties and was alive to the unction of our incomparable liturgy, and if I ever had an interview free from the gnawings of remorse, it was when I was under the roof of my God. This confession may appear extraordinary, I care not, it is true, touched by a passage of Scripture, by some brief but exquisite reference, in the state of my own mind, softened by the calm, the holy stillness of the sanctuary, or subdued by the plaintive persuasions of the good old man who counseled there, I have wept often bitterly, wept as I thought of that heaven from which I felt myself eternally excluded, wept as I thought of that fearful account to which I so unrelentingly consigned my generous brother, wept as I reflected on what I might have been and what I was, yet these were not tears of penitence, I knew not the meaning of contrition, and from every resembling confession of my guilt and supplication for pardon my proud spirit revolted together. No such was the conclusion at which I invariably arrived, no pity for me. The human being does not exist to whom I would breathe my secret. The mental gangrene which preys upon me may corrode my heart's core, but I will carry it with me to the grave. I wander, I have said, my happiest hours for those which were spent in the exercise of public devotion. This interval of enjoyment was not long permitted me. On Easter Sunday I have as vivid a recollection of the time and place and circumstances as though it had been an affair of yesterday. I chanced to catch Mr. Allen's eye resting upon me as he slowly read, in his deep solemn tones thou shalt not murder i was instantly unnerved i could detect a deeper graver modulation than usual. could trace in his penetrating eye a peculiar expression a point and severity in his generally mild and gentle manner he suspected me did he dare i would brave him i could not i was at church for the last time my malady now returned with tenfold violence i was unable to bear the presence even of my own servants i insisted upon their never presuming to look at me as they waited at dinner upon their eye constantly and invariably shunning me i will not said i with the tone and gesture of a madman be bearded by menials in my own hall but consider my love said lady morriston the endless the unaccountable constructions which such a command would bear no matter said i with increasing vehemence i will be obeyed certainly henry was adela's reply certainly your will you know is ever mine suppose then we dispense with their attendance altogether I myself said she with her own sweet smile will wait upon you will you accept of me for a cup-bearer the idea pleased me i adopted it but after a while i had the misery of perceiving that even adela's presence was a painful restraint upon me i proposed dining alone she struggled with her tears and acquiesced Marcius, for so i had named the little orphan was now eighteen in him i fancied i should find an ample recompense for the bitter disappointment vexational chagrin which had attended all my former schemes of benevolence Oh, he did promise fair. In attainments and disposition, in person and in manner, he was all that I could wish. Hourly did I congratulate myself upon the incident which had enabled me to foster such generosity of character, such originality of mind. I was anxious he should be near me. I urged him to direct his thoughts toward the church. In him I felt assured my fancy portrait of a country clergyman would find a living illustration. "'Twas not to be. The plumed troop, and spirit-stirring drum had captivated his young and ardent temperament, and I, unwilling to thwart his choice, interested myself in procuring him a commission. I was successful. The conscientious but not slavish adherence with which our family had for years supported government measures was admitted and acknowledged, and after a little delay I received a letter acquainting me that an ensigncy in the blank foot was at my service. As early in the morning as I felt myself equal to the interview I summoned marshals to hear the gratifying intelligence. He came not another messenger was dispatched there was an unusual delay a hesitation an embarrassment i could neither understand nor tolerate i got irritated i was then told that mr beresford was nowhere to be found after an interval i learned that he had quitted moundsfield immediately after breakfast and at last that lady Moyston had accompanied him my cup of sorrow was now filled to the brim the curse of a justly offended god was tracking my footsteps his wrath had overruled my darling project crushed my proudest hopes The only beings that loved me, that cared for me, had abandoned me to my fate. I was now to struggle alone, unpitied and unheeded, into my graves. She left me, but I will not blame her. Kind, light-hearted, affectionate being, how could I expect she would love one so gloomy, so churlish, so selfish, and misanthropic as myself? No, no, I will not blame her. I deserve her not. Standing on the brink of eternity, I will permit no unkind feeling to mingle with my last recollections of one who was for many years so very dear to me. Thou wilt find, Adela, that in my testamentary disposition thou art not forgotten and mayest thou be forgiven at the bar of heaven as fully and as freely as i forgive thee now i copy her last letter it reached me a few hours after her departure it is but justice to herself that i should give it to sir henry Moyston. i have left you forever for years i have been laboring under the agonizing conviction that i no longer possessed your confidence in vain have i scrutinized my conduct to see where i had failed in duty or affection i cannot discover and you will not point out how i have forfeited your esteem i can struggle with it no longer your coldness your indifference your cruel neglect have cut me to the soul But farewell i have taken nothing with me but what was strictly my own the pittance which i inherited from my poor mother and a few articles of personal property dear to me as having once been hers are all i have appropriated to myself my jewels my wardrobe my valuables of every description i have left behind to them i felt i had no claim May the future years of your life make amends for the misery which has embittered the past. Yet remember, when left at liberty, by divorce to make another choice, that domestic happiness must be founded in domestic confidence. Adela. I could not sleep alone. Wake when I would. I was in agony. The silent and gloomy ravine was continually before me. I heard the roar of the torrent at a distance, the sullen plash of the waters as he sunk forever, saw the supplicating agony of his countenance as he struggled with his fate, caught the echo of his last convulsive shriek for help i could count the bubbles as the air escaped from his lungs and rose to the surface of the water hubert my own valet occupied my dressing-room i must in my sleep have betrayed my secret or he waked by my agony overheard and understood me be that as it may speedily and bitterly did he make me feel his power not a syllable ever escaped him he was silent as the grave, but his insolent air his arrogant manner soon gave me to understand the knowledge he had acquired and from that hour he never ceased to exercise a thraldom over me which has crushed me to the dust, I dreaded him, I dared not command him, and in the midst of luxury, in my own almost princely mansion, with a fortune not many could equal and a retinue few could boast, I felt what it was to be a slave. The blow has been struck two days since, unable to submit to Hubert's increasing insolence of manner and irritated by disease, I ventured to reprimand him sharply and to hint that were he to obtain his deserts, it would be a free passage from Mountsfield, if every one got his due, where would you be? there was a gibbet in my country twenty years since stood quite close to my mother's cottage it was that of a man who was hung for the murder of his only brother i fell back on my chair covered with blood i had ruptured a blood vessel i am thankful i have been spared to complete my narrative to conclude it i have written till midnight the wind whistles wildly around me hark again it comes borne on the blast henry dear henry save me save me a few hours and i enter upon the world of spirits God of compassion, pity me, the victim of impulse, the slave of ill-regulated passions, guilty and debased and degraded as I am. Oh, remember that for me, yes, even for me, a Saviour died. End of section six.